disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. So much to talk about today. Um, I, I really, I, I toyed around with doing an episode where it was just me monologuing, and I think I'm going to do that soon, if y'all don't mind. Y'all don't mind, do you? I need instant feedback. <laughs> I can't get it on a podcast. Uh, y'all don't mind if I uh, just do an episode where it's just me monologuing. So I, I think there's, there's several things I want to cover. I want to I dive into some thoughts I have developing on uh, the COVID issue and more. Um, but there's one point I want to make right now before we bring our guest on. We're going to talk with uh, Congressman Andy Barr here in just a couple minutes. Uh, but I was on the road last week, or this week, um, depending on when you're listening to this, and uh, went down to Arizona to do some business, see some friends. Um, and while I was there, I had a little bit of time to think. And I, I started thinking about the COVID reaction. And I've always wondered if the term social distancing as opposed to social spacing was maybe chosen on purpose. It's clear to me that while the virus is very real and very dangerous, and I don't want to minimize that or the deaths that have occurred because of it, and I've had close friends and family that have been very, very sick with it. It's a real deal. But but the way we've responded to it has been all wrong. And it has been used as an instrument of societal control. And I've heard a journalist say, I've actually heard, I was actually in, a, in the hotel the other day and I, I was walking through the lobby and one of the CNN or NBC, I don't remember which net, network it was, I think it was CNN. And I heard a journalist say, if we could vaccinate 100 million people by summer, we'd reach critical herd immunity. And I've heard the same networks talk about how if you get the vaccine, you still have to wear your mask and you still have to social distance because you could still spread it because the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting COVID. It prevents you from getting sick. So you can still have it and you can still spread it. And and I'm like, do you people even hear the contradictions in what you're saying? Because we can't reach herd immunity. Herd immunity means enough people have had it that it's no longer a pandemic, right? There's not enough people left to get it that it's no longer a pandemic. So you can go back to normal. That's what herd immunity means. Um, you can't reach herd immunity and also still be spreading. the. It, it doesn't make sense. So, you know, I mean, I wonder sometimes if they even hear themselves. Do they think that we're so stupid that we don't hear these contradictions? I mean, if vaccines lead to herd immunity, but don't stop the spread, what does that even mean? Fear equals control. So given the progressive left's love for words and meaning and twisting language and culture, the word distancing to me now seems more significant in hindsight. And maybe I'm just imagining things, but I'm going to throw this out there. If we were social spacing, it would simply denote that we were giving each other a little more space around ourselves, right? No big deal. We're just expanding our personal bubble a bit. But distancing is a different word entirely. It's, it's a far more expansive word in terms of the imagery that it invokes. When I space myself, I think in terms of feet and inches. When I distance myself, I think in terms of miles and separation, right? So given how well our response to COVID has worked to divide us, and create anxiety and fear and make us easier to control, distancing makes a lot more sense than spacing if what you're trying to do is control society. It's a lot easier to take away freedom from people who are distant from each other, not only physically but also emotionally. 
there's no arguing that we have lost a sense of community and personal contact through all of this, right? I mean, I was telling somebody the other day, one of my coworkers, I smile and I talk to people. And you can't really seem to do that in this world. One thing I've learned about certain elements of the progressive left is that while they seem dumb because they propose dumb ideas, the ruling elite of that movement are in fact quite brilliant. And there's always a reason and a method to their madness. So what is happening to language and objective truth in our society giving rise to the cancel culture started on our university campuses? And we all thought it's just a bunch of silly, wussy, overoffended college kids who will eventually toughen up and grow out of it. Suck it up, buttercup, right? We couldn't have been more wrong. What started out as a bunch of linguistic silliness is now the progressive's most powerful political tool, ruthlessly effective in shutting down all opposition and stifling dissent. Likewise, what sounded at first like a way to keep us all safer, in hindsight, has contributed to what divides us and makes us a lot easier to control. I mean, for goodness sakes, we had Americans calling the police on their neighbors because too many of their neighbors were getting together for the holidays. So I'll say this, never underestimate the power of words and never underestimate their use as a tool for tyranny. So there, I got that off my mind. Uh, We'll do some more monologuing down the road but my guest today is congressman andy barr he's been appointed to the or elected to the foreign affairs committee and we'll talk a little bit about that but i also just want to get his reaction to the state of washington or like what it's like to be a congressman in the atmosphere that we have seen unfold over the last few weeks in dc and then we'll talk a little bit about privacy um and uh or not privacy but rather uh censoring uh free speech and what might be done about that. Um, And we'll talk about the hypocrisy of the left who agged on, made excuses for, uh, cheered on, encouraged the violence over the summer, which was not just riots. there There were groups of people that overtook entire city blocks They burned and looted small businesses. They attacked federal buildings. To this day, they're doing it. And that wasn't called an insurrection. And as you'll hear me say in the conversation, obviously what happened at the Capitol was more symbolic in its nature, and it was a 9 on a scale of 1 to 10, whereas the riots might have been an 8. But they were both way to the right of 5, right? They were both bad. And the fact that one side is busy about trying to use what happened at the Capitol as a way to stifle dissent and attack the opposing party, they refuse to take any responsibility. uh, And they refuse to be held accountable by the media because the media refuses to hold them accountable for their own rhetoric just months ago. So it is an interesting and crazy time. So we'll dive into all of that with my friend, um, uh, Congressman Andy Barr. That's a long intro to a podcast, isn't it? Because now I'm going to give you my sponsor, and then we're going to talk to Congressman Andy Barr. Um, Louisville Cabinets of Countertops. I don't talk about businesses that I don't believe in, haven't worked with or researched greatly, and I have worked with and believe in Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. And I, I appreciate you listening to this because they support the podcast, and without that, it would be a lot more difficult to do this labor of love. Right? There's a lot of work that goes into this, and so they make that possible, and I appreciate that. They're at 6200 Hit Lane, Louisville, Kentucky, and if you are looking for a turnkey kitchen remodel, we didn't want to fool with it. Right, We just wanted to go to somebody, 
fix our kitchen. And that's what we did. And Louisville Cabinets Countertops did that. We went to Tim Montgomery and we said, fix our kitchen. He did. And he made it awesome. And we didn't have to worry about anything. Just watch them do the work, right? If that's what you're looking for, they've got three designers on staff, George, Michelle, and Kelly, and they will all help you design your dream kitchen and then put it in. Now, if you're a do-it-yourself or a contractor, they've also got stuff for you there. They've got really high-quality, affordable cabinets in stock that you can pick up. So either way you're going about this, they can help you out with it. So it's Louisville Cabinets and Countertops, 6200 Hit Lane in Louisville. If you're in southern Indiana, Oldham County, or Louisville, these are your guys. 502-930-3304 or LouisvilleCabinetsandCountertops.com. All right, let's get into it. Congressman Andy Barr on the Disruption Zone. Uh, pretty good. It's a crazy time to be an American, isn't it? <laughs> sure is. Um, sure is. Wow. Man. Uh, let's get started because yeah. I want to dive into some of this stuff. We have Congressman Andy Barr with us. Um, I, I, I want to talk about you being appointed to the uh, or elected to the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, but I really want to start with the, the times that we're in. Um, what do you make of what happened at the Capitol What's it been like up there? It's the 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 division, the strike. It's almost like normal everyday Americans are going about their lives, but some of the stuff being thrown around by Congress is frankly terrifying when it comes to the language and the the way they're talking to each other. I mean, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez accusing Ted Cruz of having to have her, trying to have her murdered, and I hear people saying, "Linda, thanks for having me on the program." It's it really is toxic. It's it's. Uh, Everybody is very uh, has frayed nerves and at each other's throats. Uh, it's really it's 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 kind of scary when you hear that kind of rhetoric from uh, our colleague uh, from New York. And um, you know what I've been reminding my Democrat colleagues who have said some some of those kinds of things to me, and not directing them at me, but they're just directing them at some of my Republican colleagues. Who they blame for the, uh, I think, inaccurately and appropriately blame them for uh, the riot uh, at the Capitol uh, is, you know, Republicans feel uh, a little threatened as well. And that uh, stems from our experience on that baseball field a few years ago when our friend and colleague um, Steve Scalise uh, was nearly murdered and literally murdered and targeted to be murdered. And, um, when uh, when a Bernie Sanders inspired uh, left wing um, criminal murderer uh, uh, literally shot at and hit a number of uh, Republican members of Congress with a, with a firearm. And so, you know, it's a little hypocritical for um, uh, for some of these uh, uh, left wing politicians to be, uh, you know, pointing their finger at us. But. I just think that everybody in general needs to lower the temperature. Um, you know, these violent uh, criminals, whether they were people who tried to storm the Capitol building or whether they uh, rioted in the streets over the summer, uh, trashing uh, private property and businesses, uh, or uh, the the individual who uh, you know, attempted to kill Republican congressmen on a baseball field. All of these individuals need to be held uh, criminally accountable for their actions. And with respect to members of Congress, we need to lead and we need to lower the temperature and uh, rebuild personal relationships. And when we disagree, and we will, because we have extremely different 
worldviews and and policy preferences and views about what is the best course for the future of our country, we still should should set the tone for the country and be civil to one another, re-engage in civil discourse, debate, um, uh, you know, nonviolent ways of resolving disputes uh, and, and instead of resorting to violence. And I think that, that's the approach we all need to take. Why do you think I've heard the media and Democrats in particular trying to make the, the claim that what happened at the Capitol is different than what happened when a group of insurrectionists took over an entire city block of Seattle, more than a city block, when insurrectionists attacked federal buildings, tried to burn them down. Um, why is it that, and, and again, the symbolism of what happened in the Capitol obviously is worse. I mean, if we're going to do this on a scale of one to 10, what happened over the summer was probably an eight, and this was probably a nine, nine and a half, ten. But it was still way to the other side of five, right? Um, why is there so much, and I don't want to get into a whole bunch of whataboutism because it's really not productive, but at the same time, there is, there is not going to be unity until both sides are willing to admit when both sides are wrong. In other words, Republicans have to be able to, and, and most of them for the most part are, you are for sure, and others as well, denouncing what happened at the Capitol uh, and saying this is not who we are. It's not what we stand for. It's, you know, no, this is not acceptable. But the Democrats also have to do that for what happened this summer to small businesses being burned and looted and government buildings being attacked and 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 violently you know uh, harmed and and all kinds of stuff like that happening throughout the summer i mean people being attacked in their cars drugged from their cars beaten all of that stuff was happening in everyday america in the summer and a lot of democrats agged it on supported it justified it made excuses for it and now only the republicans are to blame for what happened at the Capitol. That to me is, I think that is what drives people away from each other because when you can't say wrong is wrong and it doesn't matter whether it was right or left that did it, that's where people begin to, you know, trust gets totally eroded in that situation. Yeah, I, to I, I totally agree. And uh, there is a hypocrisy and a double standard that I think we need to, acknowledge and, and recognize and deal with. I mean, uh, when, you know, my colleague on the financial services committee, the chairman chairwoman of the committee, Maxine Waters said in June of 2018, if you see anybody from the Trump cabinet in a restaurant at a department store at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd and you push back on them right. and you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Or when Senator Cory Booker in 2018 said, that's my call to action. Please just don't come here and then go home. Go to the Hill today. Right. Please get up in the face of some Congress people. Or in June of 2018, when Nancy Pelosi said, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country, and maybe there will be. Or when Senator Tim Kaine in 2017, in reference to Trump supporters, said, we've got to do what we've got to do is fight fight in Congress, fight in the courts, fight in the streets, fight online, fight at the ballot box. And now there's the momentum to be able to do this. Or in August of 2020, 
Democrat co Congresswoman Presley said there needs to be unrest in the streets for as long as there's unrest in our lives. And then uh, our, no, our, our now president, Joe Biden, in 2018, in reference to the, the, the Trump presidency, said if we were in high school, I'd take him behind the gym and beat the hell out of him. Right. So let's not pretend that this is all Republicans inciting violence. I think there's a lot of blame to go around here. And all of those Democrats who said such things uh, could be easily accused of inciting violence. Let's all stop this rhetoric and let's go back to civil discourse. And yes, agree that, you know, we can say we don't agree with socialism. We don't agree with more taxes. We don't agree with putting the United States at a competitive disadvantage by putting us in the Paris Climate Agreement. And we can have a legitimate policy debate. And when we disagree and we vote uh, and we when we lose the vote in Congress because we don't have the majority, then we go work our tails off to take back the House in 2022. Uh, that's the way the system is supposed to work. Right. I, I don't think it helps, though, that we had. You know, the the thing that really stirred me after all of this mess um, was when I found out that and I, and I read this in a conservative source that I trust that a member of Trump's staff who was involved in the re-election campaign who quit in December came forward and was like, we had internal polls that showed exactly what the outcome of the election was. Now, I, there's no doubt in my mind that there was some shenanigans and there's no doubt in my mind that the mail-in ballot is rife with abuse and that needs to change. I don't think we need to, I think we need to go to a way that we protect the sanctity of each and every individual vote. But that being said, under the system that we had for this election, Trump lost shenanigans or no shenanigans. And there, there is an element of what the last couple of months have been about though, that, that there does some blame does deserve to be at his feet for that. You know, if you know that your polls showed that the vote turned out exactly the way your polls show, but you still go out there with th these Lynn Wood and what's her name, the other lady, and, you, and you're just you're you're putting these crazy ideas out, and people that aren't like fully educated on how the system works are scared, they're worried, they believe what was told them. There is an element of that that I don't think lies necessarily at Republicans' feet but lies at the former president's feet. Do you agree with that? Well, I, I agree that some of the claims made by the president and his supporters about the significance of January 6th were wrongheaded. Right. So, for example, the, the suggestion that the vice president right. could somehow have the discretion to change the outcome on January 6th uh, is just simply not the case. There is no constitutional authority for the vice president to reject uh, and just choose which electoral votes to count and which which electoral votes to not count. That's not our system. That's not the law. Right. And similarly, similarly, I, I was, you know, as as many of my um, constituents have pointed out in in maybe disappointment with me, especially my conservative constituents, they wanted me to object to the electoral returns, I interpreted the Constitution, the 12th Amendment, uh, as giving Congress a very limited role mm -hmm. in uh, the counting of electoral votes. 
uh, on January 6th. Um, but my point to, to them is uh, that Donald Trump did not lose the presidency on January 6th because Congress failed to object to the Electoral College vote. That's not why he lost the election. Depending on your perspective, he lost the election either because he lost fair and square to Joe Biden. He lost both the popular vote and fair and square. He lost the Electoral College vote. Or you believe that there was widespread voter fraud, irregularities, violations of state election laws uh, that resulted in an improper um, uh, electoral college vote, right? Uh, right? That, you, you believe one of those two things. But I can tell you who did not defeat Donald Trump, and that's Congress. Right. Because that's not our system. That's not our system. Right. Our, our system of presidential selection is, is, is conspicuously not that we put the, the election of a president in the hands of a small group of politicians in Washington, D.C. Right. And thank good and thank goodness for that. Right. Thank yeah. goodness. Our system is is that the American people elect the president through the states and the Electoral College and Congress in only a very limited uh, plays a, only a very limited role in, in tabulating and, and, and calculating and counting those electoral votes. Yeah, I, only I, o- only. Only in a very few few scenarios would Congress actually intervene. Right, and they're they're very rare, and I don't even know that they've happened in hundreds of years. But I will say this: I I don't I while I think that it wasn't necessarily the election wasn't necessarily stolen in the traditional sense that a lot of people think it might have been, or because voting machines were hacked. I, I don't believe that happened. I do believe that the the election was manipulated. And I think that blame for that lies at the feet of the media and big tech. They actively hid stories that were negative to Biden. They actively censored stories that were negative to Biden. And there there was a there was a true manipulation of the people's mindset and people's knowledge that I think affected the outcome in the way it did. And I also believe that some manipulation has happened as a result of COVID. And I'm going to be accused of taking the virus too lightly. I I believe the virus is real and I believe it's serious. I believe everything we've done to react to it is ridiculous. I mean, Dr. Fauci now saying we should wear two masks. Why not three? Why not four? Let's just put six on. Come on, man. People, People hear this and they go, what are you talking about? But the shutting down of what was a roaring roaring economy that was benefiting not only Wall Street, but was benefiting what Democrats have claimed for generations have been their quote unquote key constituents, which we all know they don't actually work in 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 on their behalf. But it was benefiting everybody up and down. And there had to be a stoppage to that. And here we are, Democrat governors now starting to reopen their states despite what's happening with COVID shows that it was political. I think that was part of the manipulation of the election. I do, too. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think there's no doubt about it, um, especially when you look at blue states, the intentional lockdowns, the shutdowns, the overzealous shutdowns of the economy, when the science didn't justify it, frankly. Shutting down down schools when uh, kids, frankly, are doing much worse uh, from a health standpoint out of school. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it is, there's this, there's this cynical, 
uh, there's this cynical thing going on where you see some of these uh, blue state mayors and, and, and governors now saying, oh, well, now that now that the election is over, we're going to open up the economy. I mean, it really it really does uh, point to uh, a, an issue of manipulation. But to your point on big tech, I think this is this is a, a massive issue for our country, uh, who who we are as a country, whether we still believe in, in free speech and free expression and the marketplace of ideas. Yeah. I think that's a very, very important issue. And there's no doubt about it that there's bias in social media against conservatives. And now we're seeing it play out in a in a really real and nefarious way uh, by, uh, you know, banning conservative speech on these platforms. What's your solution, though? Because we've talked about this before. It's a difficult thing. It's very complicated. On the one hand, you have private companies. But on the other hand, they're offering a public forum, and then they are limiting that public forum to only certain viewpoints. Well, right. I mean, you know, they received protection from liability under Section 230 on the basis that they were not uh, publishers, that they just provided a platform. But that's not the case when they pick uh, winners and losers in the marketplace of ideas. Right. And so so they actually are publishers and they do they do in that case uh, uh, subject themselves to, to, to liability, in my opinion. And I, I do believe that there is state action involved that would implicate the First Amendment. Right. Putting on my lawyer hat here for a minute. Uh, <laughs> if there's a violation of the antitrust laws. Right. And you know, when you when you exclude competition from that marketplace of ideas, right. like we have seen, uh, and you have this kind of collusion with the government to to take down competition, then there is state action that does violate, I think, um, free speech principles embedded in the First Amendment. So, yeah. look, Congress needs to take a look at this. I think repealing 230 uh, could actually exacerbate yes. the problem, make it worse. Fully I think agree. reforming to I think reforming 230 to say, uh, you know, look, you will be exposed to liability. You will not get the liability protection right. uh, if you engage in viewpoint discrimination. Right. And you did, you say, Bate, look, if you want to pull threats and you want to pull, you know, actual threats and actual libel and actual, you know, seditiousness or whatever, fine. But other than that, you cannot pull anything or you're liable. I think that's the solution yeah. and then dealing with the trust it issue as well. Exactly. And to, and, to, and to kind of finish the, the point that you were making, which I totally agree with, I mean, look at Twitter. Twitter says, oh, well, you know, uh, Donald Trump wasn't following our rules, wasn't following our guidelines. Really? So if, if Jack Dorsey and Twitter uh, say that we're, we were merely applying our standards of, of decency um, to Donald Trump, that's why we took him down, then why didn't they take down uh, their, the tweets that said, hashtag kill Trump or right. hashtag assassinate Trump or uh, tweets that promoted violence or killing of police officers. Right. If, if, if they, if they neutrally apply the same standard to all of those kinds of uh, posts promoting violence, then that's one thing. But if they selectively censor only uh, the, the speech from a conservative angle, then they're engaged in clear viewpoint discrimination. Right. And it's really not about, protecting decency on their side or promoting their standards. Right. It's really about uh, picking winners and losers, and, and they're clearly picking uh, 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 winners to be the left and losers to be 
the right. Yeah, hundred percent. Totally agree with you. Um, let me. I know we've only got a few minutes here, so I want to hit a couple of real quick things. I want to talk about the foreign policy thing, but real quick, your comments on uh, the president, uh, President Biden, who said that using executive orders to rule was the things that dictators do, and now he has issued an enormous number of executive orders, uh, most of which have cost jobs, actual, real jobs in real time. Well, yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, the hypocrisy of our new president is really profound. When he criticized uh, his predecessor for executive orders, even uh, suggesting that he was behaving like a dictator, um, and then uh, setting a new world record for 40 executive orders, <laughs> unilateral executive order, uh, orders in eight days. Yeah. Uh, qu- quite a breathtaking double standard. Um, so, look, I mean, on the one hand, it's a problem because uh, he's bypassing Congress and ramming through, jamming, uh, you know, policy changes without consultation with Congress or the elected representatives of the American people. That's a big problem. But uh, it's the substance of the executive orders that I think is even a larger problem because, you know, rejoining the Paris Climate Accord or uh, taking offline 10 percent of American energy production with the stroke of a pen. Right. um, Reversing policies that made America energy independent and, in fact, energy dominant over the last four years, uh, decreasing our dependence on foreign sources of energy. You know, these are just bad policies, bad for American competitiveness, bad for jobs, bad for uh, the economy. And so, you know, we, we've got a lot to say about this. And I think I think the president, the new president is uh, clearly uh, placing the interests of a small group of environmental extremists over the interests of the prosperity of the American people. Right. So I think there's a, we, we have a, we have a lot to say about this. Yeah, for sure. Um, hopefully there'll be some remedies that you can put in place as well. Okay. Before I let you go, uh, you've been uh, put on the foreign affairs committee. Are you concerned? Um, China already rattling sabers saying, you know, any kind of um, declaration of independence for Taiwan would be an act of war. They, they war gamed attacking us uh, Navy assets they're they're rattling sabers they never would have rattled under the last administration. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I'm not really surprised. I'm not surprised because Joe Biden has been wrong about China for decades. I mean, literally decades in in the Senate. I mean, for 40 years, and he's been in the Senate for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, he he believed wrongly that engagement with China would uh, induce. Um, the government in Beijing to cooperate with the West. And and to be fair, uh, this was not just Joe Biden. It was uh, political leaders from both parties over over the years believed that engagement with, with China would lead to political freedoms and democratization and, and reforms and, and move China to uh, an economy of free trade and free markets. But over and over again, the Chinese Communist Party uh, uh, did not uh, liberalize, did not move towards democracy or political reforms, but instead we aided China economically and militarily. Yep. And just Joe, Joe Biden has just been wrong. I mean, in, in 2011, he said, quote, there was a debate here in the United States and quite frankly, throughout most of the West, whether a rising China was in the interest of the United States and the wider world. As a member of the Foreign Relations Committee, I wrote and I said, and I believe then and I believe now that a rising China is a positive, positive development not only for China, but for America and the world writ large. And then in, in May 2019, 
He said, China's going to eat our lunch. Come on, man. I mean, you know, they're not bad folks. But guess what? They're not they're not competition for us. Come on, man. You know, the, here's well, here's the here's the truth. And, and our new president needs to understand this, that last year, the Chinese Communist Party violated an international treaty and dismantled Hong Kong civil liberties. It continued its oppression of the Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities, including Tibetans. It dramatically accelerated its military buildup, including its nuclear and outer space capabilities. It conducted belligerent provocations on land, sea, and cyberspace, violating other nations' sovereignty at sea. It engaged in fatal skirmishes to conduct a land grab on the Indian border. It asserted new territorial claims over the Bhutan. It amplified its debt trap diplomacy through its uh, Belt and Road Initiative to assert dominance and colonial control over lesser developed countries. It increased its technological ed edge in 5G telecommunications, artificial intelligence, and supercomputing. And by silencing doctors, spreading disinformation, and suppressing information about the biosecurity at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, allowing a local outbreak of a virus to turn into a global pandemic, killing millions, devastating the global economy, and increasing the U.S. national debt by over $4 trillion, a debt in which it is the largest foreign creditor, we know that China is definitely a threat definitely a threat yeah and for the president to say they're not competition for us i think last year is a wake-up call right. to our new president yeah it's going to be interesting and you're going to be uh kind of right on the front lines of seeing all that action so we'll have to keep in touch with you over that uh process all right i'm told i'm told you got to run but uh, i didn't want to cut you off there you were about to say something no. go ahead yeah, I'll just say, I'll just say one final thing it's an honor to serve on this uh this committee the foreign affairs committee where i will be focusing on becoming uh, threat and competition with China. Uh, I served on the China task force in the last Congress, and uh, we uh, there was 15 of us total representing 11 separate committees. Uh, and of course, I brought uh, my jurisdiction on the House Financial Services Committee uh, with oversight over Treasury to this. So economic competition it was a big part of our discussion. But the report, in the report, we had 82 key findings, and we had over 400 recommendations. And over half of those recommendations, by the way, were bipartisan. This needs to be a bipartisan issue. It's about American national security. But uh, I believe that we need to spend the next Congress working together uh, in a bipartisan way to implement these recommendations because uh, we know that in just a few years, uh, China will overtake the, the United States uh, as the world's largest economy. And I believe with 1.3 billion people and an increasingly aggressive military posture, China represents the greatest existential national and economic security challenge uh, in American history. And that, that is no hyperbole. This is a very serious threat facing us from an economic standpoint and, and certainly from a military standpoint as well. All right. Well, listen, hey, thank you very much, Congressman. We appreciate your time today. Uh, I know it's busy. And uh, we'll keep you in our prayers as you continue on. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Leland. All right, Take have care. a good one. Always good to have Congressman Andy Barr on. Interesting stuff. I just—it's interesting too to think about, you know, just the atmosphere in Washington. I've never seen anything like this before. And um, uh, let's just hope that we can find some way to come together. I—I I want to be hopeful. I'm optimistic, right? Like I think most Americans are kind of going about their lives and aren't at each other's throats. But uh, to be honest with you, I think a lot of Congress, because of our two-party system, is so vested 
in its party above all else that I don't see a way out of this before a major fracturing. Uh, we'll see what that entails. So uh, I wish I had a better news for you. I don't know. I could try to find, we could talk about unicorn farts, I guess, which is which is what we're going to be using to fuel our cars going forward, thanks to President Biden and his executive order shutting down 10% of America's energy. How about that? That's crazy stuff. Anyway, all right, big thanks to our sponsor, um, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. I love these guys. Go to Louisville Cabinets and Countertops to find out more. Uh, they've got three designers on staff, George, Kelly, and Michelle. I don't talk about businesses that I don't believe in, that I haven't worked with or fully researched. And I have worked with and do believe in Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They uh, did our kitchen and master bathroom in our house in Kentucky. And uh, it was beautiful. Everybody that came over to visit loved it. And then when we sold our house, I'm pretty confident that the beauty of the kitchen, which enhanced the beauty of the home, is why the house sold in a day. So if you are looking to enhance your home and to uh, really just make that one big significant change that makes all the difference in the world, go see my friends at Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. And even if you're not looking for a new kitchen yet, but maybe down the road you will be, do me a favor and give them a call and say, hey, thanks for uh, sponsoring Leland's podcast and you know we'll use you when we get a chance to. You know, Just do that for me if you don't mind. 502-930-3304. They're really fantastic. Tim is great. They're at 6200 Hit Lane. They've got the designers that can help you design your turnkey kitchen remodel, but if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, they've also got high-quality beautiful cabinetry in stock that you can pick up so check them out if you're in southern indiana louisville or oldham county they are the place louisville cabinets and countertops.com or 502-930-3304 big thanks to my co-executive producer cameron mills who does virtually jack squat and you can tell him i said that because i'll say that to his face god love him <laughs> he's gonna come back on the show shortly also jp web design uh dynamics audio productions in lexington and you guys tell your friends Sign up for uh, the podcast at Apple and give us a five-star review. Please, please, please give us a five-star review. And also uh, iHeartRadio as well as Google Play. Get it done. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Leland Show and at Zone Disruption. And on Instagram, it's at Great Lee Londo and at The Disruption Zone. Thank you for listening. I am Leland Conway, The Disruption Zone.